Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Listening skills. Uh, so we want to talk. Louise is having a hard time hearing what is being said in her listening for what is not being said. So we want to try and clarify that um, because you do have to listen to both, actually. Um, but uh, also then, if there's some questions that are coming up and some of the things that, that we're, we're talking about. Tonight, we're going to kind of turn a corner and, and look more specifically at some uh, specific content in family systems theory uh, as a way of trying to understand how people function uh, in groups, uh, in various kinds of places, what the scripts are, uh, or uh, what the kind of the, 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 the belief structures that they govern their lives with and where they came from and what the implications of that are. Um, and, uh, and part of that is also to give us all an opportunity to kind of keep looking in the mirror and seeing what's there and, and oh, that's why I respond that way when so-and-so does such-and-such. I'm really actually still fighting with my sister or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's kind of w- what the bulk of our time is going to be uh, tonight. But I'd like to open in prayer, and then if there's some questions that we want to push into from the last couple of times, and then we'll move into the, into the content. Okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for the uh, privilege of spending the next uh, hour and a half or so talking about things that matter, uh, because people matter. I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds on the things that are most important in our conversation. And uh, I ask you to teach us because you're the only one that knows what we need to know. So I pray that we would be open and attentive to your voice and that we would be uh, shaping our, our, our souls in response to your truth. We ask you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, one of the, the first uh, questions that, that we want to just deal with is how, uh, how, in listening for what people are not saying, do you attend at the same time to what they are saying? Right? And, of course, the, the only way to, to really listen for what is not being said is with kind of an inner ear. That's why you have to listen to more than just the content of what people or the words that people are saying. You want to listen to the story. You want to listen to both the, the words, but the narrative. And then pay attention to the questions that your heart is leaning into. Because if you don't hear what they are saying, you can't hear what they're not saying. You, you, you know, because you're already starting to construct a narrative around what you're not hearing based on the little discrete bits that you hear initially. So we start to connect dots that really don't connect. So if I'm, if I'm not, I, I need to be really intentionally focused on what people are actually saying. And that requires an enormous amount of concentration, as you probably know, and presence uh, with, with them. Uh, and then after you've listened for a while, then you can start to kind of lean into the voids, what I call the voids, the things that are questions that you might want to ask, things that you want to, threads that you might want to pull on, 
uh, in, in listening. So it, it, it just takes some time uh, to, to work through this. That's why I wanted you to look at soul talk, uh, because the temptation is to move quickly to solution. And most of the things that we're really working on here is soul care, so there are no solutions. Um, it, it's more a matter of kind of direction, you know, leaning more than anything else. Because um, we'll, we'll uh, yeah, so does that make sense? Uh, yeah, so did I, did I tell you the story of the, 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 the I think I mentioned the guy back at the beginning, but let me do it again because this is my kind of my favorite story of this, and there are variations on this. But I, I met with a student. Hey, how you doing, Nick? Uh, I met with a student a few years ago, and and uh, and he was telling me. So he's a 19, 20, 21 year old kid, and he's talking about a story, and he's having a hard time adjusting and working through his images of God and so on and so forth. So we're just walking through the story of his life. And so, and I've, you know, I've got a series of questions that I ask, you know, where are you from and how did you come to faith and what's your journey been like and how does God um, address you and, you know, just listening to the story. So he, he goes through this whole narrative in, in uh, you know, his, his family, he's got two, two, two brothers, uh, uh, one older and one much younger, and then he's got um, you know, his mom and dad, and they had some really rocky times and, and ended up getting divorced and um, working through some of those, some of those dynamics. Um, so I've listened to him for, for a little while, and then I, I caught, because uh, uh, earlier on I, I had asked, how many are in your family? And he said, um, he said six, six. So my folks and, and my, my siblings. And, but then he only talked about, about uh, one and, and, and one. Uh, so that, right, that's a little, little thread. Uh, and then I noticed that there was a, a huge gap in his story uh, that, that uh, I, I wanted to push into. So he would have been... His dad, uh, they were in the military, his dad moved a lot, so they moved to a place, and he was five, and then he was, and then all of a sudden his narrative picked up again when he was like seven or eight. And, it, well, where did you, what was, you know, so pull on that string, and his face white as a, as, as a sheet, right? Uh, and that's when I killed my brother. So at five years of age, his mom had a child, baby, and put him into bed with this boy, and he rolled over on him in the middle of the night and killed his uh, baby brother. Four boys, one, two, three, four, and but he couldn't tell that he had gotten so used to telling a story without that piece that if you 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 listen to what to just that tiny little gap and then the thread wait a minute i thought you said there were six but there's only three of you and parents what where oh and that's where that fourth one came so does that make sense 
So you're just kind of listening because remember, every t- by the time somebody tells their story the second time, it's already been edited. Right? It's already taken a shape that that's meaningful to them, that helps them to make sense of their story, including the exclusion of things that happen but that are not maybe complementary to them or that they can't believe happened or that... I mean, we all do it in one form or another. We're much funnier the third time we tell a story than when it actually happened. We say the right things. We're much cleverer in our comebacks. We have, you have kind of punchlines, right? So, so that's what I listen for uh, is, is kind of those gaps in, in, in the story. Okay? Anybody else questions on either any of the reading you've been doing? Um, it's kind of a, a, of a bit of an aggressive reading program for those who are not in college and who don't get points or grades for reading. Uh, but I was hoping that uh, you would at least start to build a bit of a, of a library and with it a vocabulary of some of the things that we're going to be talking about going forward as well. So, Soul Talk. Uh, and we're coming up, uh, I think tonight was uh, Peter, Peter Scarzero's book, Emotionally Healthy Church. Yeah? Anybody have a chance to look at that? Did you read it? Okay, good. Uh, so that one, I think, will be really helpful for us going forward because I think it really kind of is the heartbeat of what we're trying to do in our care ministry. You can only be so healthy spiritually if you're not healthy emotionally. And so he goes through a, a, a series of kind of questions and self-exam and hold up the mirror that just says, what's going on with some of the stuff we'll talk about tonight, family of origin? What's going on with some of, some of your story? Because no matter how hard you pray and get healthy spiritually, if you're not healthy emotionally, you won't be whole. So, so he pushes hard on, on that, and I think that will be a worthwhile one to look at. Okay, any, any other questions, though? Either any of the reading that you've done or uh, things that have come up in, in conversations or anybody give uh, the questions that Pete put together, Peter put together for us last time uh, uh, a try? I guess we're going to have to find a way to pay them to, to do the homework or something. With grades or whatever. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and do you, did you figure out the answer? No, not totally. Besides the fact that I, I generally feel like I'm trying to create a lot of just like like the components in my life right now all at once. Yep. Because I'm freeing up some freedom. So that didn't work. Nope. Yeah, most of the time when we get frustrated like that or impatient like that, we make it about us instead of about them. That's why we've got to be solid in who we are without reference to what they do or don't do. Right? You can't link your sense of self-success or whatever, whether it's somebody you're walking with as a, you know, discipling or soul care uh, or children even. You can't link your understanding of yourself as a parent with how well your kids turn out beyond fundamental basics. Right? Uh, because you want them to be their own person. And everybody is going to be able to look back and say, if I'd done this or that or the other thing, they would have this. That. You don't know that. You just don't know that. And I can probably take you to kids whose parents did all of those things and their kids turned out sideways. And I can take you to kids who were parented the way you parented your kids and they turned out fine. So there's no magic. To, to this in, in walking with people it's, it's this it's this leaning in and inviting them into their own lives that we're after here um, and I mean beyond I mean we can we can we can help them keep the wheels on to some degree but sometimes the wheels need to come off and they need to crash and burn they need to bottom out on, on stuff and then we can invite them into a different part of the journey It really depends. This is why, remember way back at the beginning of this, this is why I tried to lay that long, boring foundation in this whole thing because it's really an issue of discernment. What is the Holy Spirit doing in them in the moment? So I tend to do something like this. Would it be helpful for you if I were to say, tell you a little bit of my journey in this? I know it's not yours. I know the story is going to be different. I know... It's, I, I don't, this doesn't give me permission to understand. But this is some of the things that I've gone through, right? And then at the end, come back around and say similar kinds of things, you know? Do you see any patterns that might be helpful there? Or do you resonate with any of that? Or, it, it, you know, it's always an invitation. Right, right. Because, you know, you've all had conversations with people like that. I mean, you say three things, and then all of a sudden it's about them for the rest of the hour. And it's like, okay. You know? Yeah. That's why I keep on... I, I want to I, I wanna keep sitting with people long enough that they stop the flooding... 
so that then I can start to pull at the threads with a question or two. So usually I'll do, I'll do most of the work, if I can use that language of soul care, in the last 15 minutes of an hour-long conversation. Because you're just listening, listening to the person, to the, to, the, to the Lord, to your own heart, to the, you know, uh, and, and what do you, what do you, what's going on, you know? Yes. 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 That's such a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody hear that? The the advantage that the, that Crab was making in Soul Talk is specifically relative to Alyssa's question: our impatience with people in their stuckness or. It, especially when we actually could be helpful if, we, if they just did what we want them to do, that the solving of their problem may get them out of pursuit of the first things, which is Christ-likeness, which is the pursuit of God in Christ, that it is their very pain or uh, difficulty that keeps pushing them and that by trying to solve that, even if we could, we may do more harm by giving them second things rather than first things. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Which is challenging because most of you are here because you love people and you care for people and you want to help them. Please remember, Jesus knew everything about everybody He ever talked to and He rarely said anything to them about them. He just said, come and see. Let's go for a walk. Always he was asking questions, rarely ever to specific persons making direct statements about them. So that's a cautionary tale for us helpers, right? Because he could actually have been helpful, whereas I'm not altogether sure I can be in most situations, you know. He actually could have been. Which also we need to underline, Jesus didn't heal everybody who was sick. He didn't didn't fix everything. There are lessons to be learned in the darkness of people's lives that will not be learned if you shine a light in there. And, and, And we need to give them permission. We'll talk a little bit more about that over the next couple of weeks, a couple of times. Uh, with life stage things. How do we walk with people going through um, crisis of, uh, you know, uh, maybe end of life issues or uh, some of those dynamics? Because we'll, we'll talk about that over the next couple of, couple of sessions. Yes. 
Yeah, that doesn't work. Yep. Not so good. Good. All right. Uh, let's uh, dig into some of this business on family systems. If you are interested in more theoretical foundation on this, and some of you have had, I don't know what all training or reading or education you may have had. So um, this is a... a, a, a based on a, a theory, family systems theory was published by Murray Bowen in the late 50s, uh, early 60s in a book called Family Therapy and Clinical Practice, if you're interested in pursuing that further, uh, and popularized uh, in congregations and communities by Edwin Friedman in a book called Generation to Generation. Uh, in that book, you'll really get a snapshot of how uh, where you are in the family system plays itself out in various scenarios. So what happens, for example, if a firstborn son marries a firstborn daughter or an only son marries a, a second daughter? What, what kinds of things are likely to be anticipated in their marriage? Or what happens when you have, uh, have uh, people sitting on boards of directors, sitting at an eldership table, or sitting at, in, a, in a community group? Uh, what governs the behaviors of the people in the group more than almost anything else, Friedman says, is the roles they learned when they were children in their families of origin. So they don't respond as adults, they respond as children. That's why differentiation, which is leaving home, is so important. Uh, and we, we'll talk about some of the dynamics of that as we go through this. Okay? So those are the two texts. Murray Bowen's Family Therapy and Clinical Practice and Edmund Friedman's Generation to Generation. So here's some basic convictions. Please feel free to jump in, as I know you will, because, uh, uh, yeah. So the, the family is a multi-generational interacting system. So all this is saying, his, his observation is, and I want to then spell out some implications of this, is that the family is not a cause and effect system. It's an interacting system that acts backwards as well as forwards as well as sideways. So the, the family is loosely or tightly uh, attached, and depending on what happens in one part of the system, it affects the other parts of the system, right? Uh, so, so it moves forwards and backwards, and it moves sideways in the system. And forwards and backwards means from history to the present to the future. Uh, so this, uh, it, the implications of this are that, that what happens in a family system to one person happens in some ways to them all. So it depends on how self-differentiated the members of the system are, how those things affect them. The more enmeshed the family is, 
the more everybody in the system will be affected catastrophically. The more differentiated the members are, the less transfer there will be in catastrophe. So somebody can go through a crisis and the rest of the system maintains enough differentiation and health, first, not to go into crisis itself, so that, second, it can actually be helpful to the member who is in crisis. Uh, does that make sense? So we'll talk about that and unpack that here in a, in a, in a few minutes. So the, there is no, then, one simple cause and effect uh, relationship in the family system to anything. So, so uh, the, we can affect change in the whole system by helping one person in the system move towards health. Right? The, the rest of the system if can move. Now, the, the rest of the system may reject the person who's moving towards health. That's equally possible. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's important, uh, especially if you start to work with kids at all, uh, in some of our kids in our youth groups and, and, uh, and whatnot, that sometimes you will be working with the only responsible adult in the family system with that 16-year-old kid. Right? And you can affect real and positive good and change by caring for that because that will radiate to the rest of the system with health. Okay, so th this is just some, some basic theory uh, there, but I want you to kind of get the idea of what the system is. It's interacting. The second piece is then that no family problem is only one generation deep. No family problem is only one generation deep. So we can trace, not cause and effect, but we can trace general behaviors back a generation and we can see the effects of that move to, to it. So every, every problem it influences or has influenced at least three generations of the family. This is what, unfortunately, some people have termed generational curse. It is not generational curse. It's family systems. It's not God that makes that happen. It's the fact that we are related to one another in families. And the more enmeshed the family is, the greater the likelihood of the transference of pain generation to generation to generation. Okay? Any questions of clarity at this, at this, at this stage of the game? Yeah? Can we compare that to a generational There is no such thing. No. Not that I can find. We use that language, but we don't know what we mean. We're like the guy in Princess Bride. You know. Keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> anyway, okay. Yeah. All right. So, everybody, everybody good? All right. So, we'll keep fleshing this out, and hopefully it'll make some more sense as we, as we, as we come closer to it. Uh, the, the third thing, and this now is where it starts to become really important, the presenting problem is not likely to be the real problem or the main problem. So what's the presenting problem? The presenting problem is the problem that is presented for solution. Okay? 
So it could be a kid who's gone sideways. It could be an addiction. It could be our marriage communication. It could be whatever, right? And that's not to say that's not a problem. It is to say that something in all likelihood has contributed to that. And that's how the family system has started to cope with the real problem. But if you fix the symptom, all you're going to do is put a different problem in work somewhere else. Does that make sense? Um, so what that and, and this, the second piece is um, I just want to make sure that I don't have this. Yeah, I don't. So in a, in a family system, the pain of the system will surface through the weakest member. In a family system. Where there's a problem, the pain of the system will surface through the weakest member. Um, so it, that, that is why those of us who have worked with kids often are presented with kids as problems to solve. Because the pain of the family is surfacing through the child. Right? And it's more than likely going to be the second child. If there, if there are two or three or four, um, it, it, it'll usually be the second one. Huh? Because the first one uh, spends significant amounts of energy being perfect. Right? Because that's what the demand or the requirement of the system is. So that leaves permission for the second one to be the screw up. Right? So, for example, here I had a kid uh, kind of marched into my office years ago, junior high kid, and, and I'm a youth pastor, so you need to fix my kid. What's he done? He set his locker on fire. Okay, well, that's a problem. You know, that we probably don't want to be seeing that happen too much. So, so Andrew and I got together um, regularly for, actually, we're still, we're still in, in, in contact. We met weekly for about... Uh, almost a year and then once a month for about another three to four years after that. Uh, and I think you probably have already sat around these things long enough to have figured out what, what was he doing? Huh? He was seeking attention. He was trying to get his anger out. He was frustrated. He was... He, the, the, he, he is close to a genius level IQ, as is his older brother. Uh, and he just is dealing with the pain of a system, right? And, but his parents, because clearly setting a locker on fire is the most, uh, compared to whatever, that's a big, big deal, right? Uh, and then he went on and set one of the fields on fire at school a little bit later on. So, anyway, um, not 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 a not a good thing. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So he, that's one of the reasons why we sat and talked. And, and I was the first adult that didn't talk to him like a problem child. The kid's junior high and he's a genius. 
and he can carry on an adult conversation. So I treated him and walked with him like an adult. Tell me your story. What's your family like? And, and so he gave me the politically correct story that his family, close family, they're not a close family. They're an enmeshed family. Right? So pain in the system immediately transfers to everybody in the system and finds the weakest point, which is him, to escape. So uh, dad's an alcoholic, in, um, recreational marijuana user. Mom's abusing prescription pills. Older brother uh, was conceived before wedlock and is the reason they got married. Mom never really wanted to marry dad. No, wait a minute. Dad didn't want to marry mom, but mom trapped him with the pregnancy. Uh, and so this is what comes out over the next six to nine months of conversation. And this kid, he's, he's just in the system, right? But he is just watching everything that's going on. He can do the math. He knows what he, knows what he sees and so on and so forth. Um, and all the way through this, the parents are, because they're members of my congregation, they're, how's, how are we doing with the boy? Is he coming in? Yeah, he's a great kid. I don't know what the, we're having a good time. We're having a good conversation. And he and I are having a good, a good friendship and, and, and persisted on this. Um, and and uh, so what it finally came down to, I said to him, look, you're the only adult in your family. So you think you can help them? And he looked at me for the longest time in silence, and he said, I don't know. And as it turns out, he couldn't. Uh, he's fine. His older brother's fine. But the rest of the system is pretty, pretty chaotic. Now, I've seen other situations where that then started to breathe health into the rest of it. But with him, I was able to then go back to the grandparents on each side and start to get a sense of why mom and dad acted out the way they did. And, okay, so now we're starting to see a narrative and you're a generation that can have a different narrative. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, not not initially. When I walked with him long enough and the dad and I started to get coffee and we were able to lean into some things, mom and I never were able to get truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is this, what, this is what I mean though when, a, when, when uh, and often the weakest member is a child. It can be a spouse though. Uh, husband or wife, uh, and it depends. There's, there's some other factors in that we'll talk about a little bit later later on. Um, so, so when we do that, setting your locker on fire all of a sudden isn't quite the problem that it once was. So now we have to say, I get that you're frustrated. Let's find some ways that are less destructive for you to manage that frustration. So, so. We'll do, we worked on some things and strategies for him. Yeah, so, so 
everybody else has a solid role to play. Mom's playing the, the part of mom. Dad's playing the part of dad. Oldest son's playing the part of the oldest son, right? So one of the things that happens then is when there's number two, it's, well, what do we do with this one? So number two tends to take his or her role identity by taking the firstborn's one and flipping it. So if number one is hyper-responsible, number two will be irresponsible. If number one tends to be irresponsible, number two will tend to be responsible. Right? And number three will be more like number one again. Unless there's four, and then they tend to disappear a little bit. Now, that's, that's not all, you know, that's not set in cement. Because there are multiple factors that go into there with personality and so on. Often number two will view themselves and be viewed by the family as the savior of the family. Fit. Right. Or whose role is to be the weakest one. Because if your brother's... Right. If your brother's perfect, guess what you are? Right? Because he can, he is, he, he, this, he was always compared to his brother, who also, by the way, has a genius level IQ. He, he's, he has a PhD. He's a research scientist at a university not far from here. You know? Number two is a plumber. Nothing wrong with plumbers. But he just decided that he didn't want the burden of being as smart as he was. You know? So, that was his role. Because his brother had perfection sewed up. You know? Yes. Yes. So, so here's, the, here's a test. What happens when somebody goes sideways? Does the family embrace that person as family, or are they shamed into compliance? If they're shamed into compliance, you have an enmeshed family. If that's our weirdo, he's strange, but he's ours. There's probably a more of a closeness there. So the question I ask is, what does it cost to be part of your family? What's the price of admission? Do I have to conform? Because inevitably, as kids move through the stages, right, they're going to rebel in one form or another. So what happens when they do? And that's when you find out, you know, well, we can't tolerate somebody who doesn't think the same way that we do about whatever it is, politics or music or religion or whatever. So the price of being part of the family is conformity in an enmeshed family. In a close family, because we're just doing this to each other, you can think different things. You're still part of us. I, I, I can't remember if I've told you this, or not, but, but I, I did a, 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 a marriage counseling a few years ago with a guy who, when they got married, he could not understand, because he, his, 
His family system was like this. It was in mesh. Why and how his wife could not like the music that he liked. Can we get married? Because she doesn't like my music. Because his view of close was we all like the same thing. Because that's the way close families are. Well, no, that's the way enmeshed families are. You know? You, um, somebody. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that probably wasn't enmeshed in the in the classic sense, though there was probably I, I don't know, so I'm guessing, but I'm guessing that there was probably a public image that we must maintain. So we have to create the impression that we're close, that we're a good family, that we have our act together. And if you go sideways, that wrecks everybody's impression of us. Yeah. So the kind of the lights are on, but nobody's home kind of a. Kind of a thing. All right. So, um, a presenting problem not not uh, likely to be the main problem. Um, so, treating it as if it were the only problem is not likely to produce uh, help for the system. However, because of number two, you can actually start to move health. This is the question that was asked, right? You can work health back into the larger system as that person begins to become healthy themselves. Now, the difficulty with that is every family system seeks homeostasis. That is stability. Right? And, and part of stability means, in other words, everybody's playing their part. So his role was, and, and part of the family stability, was to be the, the one through whom the pain surfaced. So he starts to move towards health. That throws the rest of the system into chaos. Because what they had, the, the role they had assigned him, he was no longer playing. And so the rest of the system didn't quite know how to respond to that. Right? You see this often in families where people start to grow spiritually in a youth group or something like that. And, and the system doesn't know how to adjust to that that part of their growth and health, right? That's right. Yeah, we need you in that role so that we know that we're okay. This is the nature of codependence, right? So, so almost always, every alcoholic will have somebody who enables her or him to be the alcoholic and needs them to be the alcoholic so they know who they are. Right? That's a type of homeostasis. It's not healthy, 
but at least it doesn't fall over. Right? Now, please notice the kind of rigid control that is necessary to keep that system from falling over. The price of growth is enormous because you break the system. Right? So we'll talk about that some more. But questions? Okay. So, number four, and this is the hard one for, for a lot of us. Any problem then honestly dealt with will likely get worse and possibly expand before it gets better. So, it's not uncommon when we're dealing with problem X for it to resurface old problems with alcohol or drugs. Or when we're dealing with uh, a, a problem in the marriage for something to go sideways with one of the kids. Or for other kinds of behaviors to start to unfold at, in, the, in the same, same person. Because what happens is, is, is that this is kind of the nature of interacting system. Because we're, we're not just isolated, so our stuff is ours, we're connected, so this starts to vibrate and the rest of the system starts to vibrate with it. The more enmeshed, the greater the level of vibration and therefore the greater the spread of the problem. No, sorry. Okay, I, you just bought a piece of art there, so waiting for the, <laughs> for, the, for the auction. Yeah, okay. So, um, so any, again, any system finds homeostasis or stability, any movement in any part of the system will affect the whole. So I, I, I've still got one. The kid gave it to me. Um, he came, came to school. Difficult family situation. Uh, we walked together, and he was part of the in, in the counseling program at Vanguard. They give him free counseling for the four years they're there, and, and it's a great gift to the to the students and whatnot. So he had come and began to make some real progress toward towards health. For his 21st birthday, his mom uh, gave him a birthday card that said, "We love you just the way you are." Don't ever change. Now that on its surface sounds innocent. Until you realize that what that is an attempt to do is to pull him back into his role, which he had begun now to leave, because we need you to be who you are so we can be who we are. And specifically, mom needed him to be her little boy so she could be mom. She had no independent identity apart from the role she played as mom. She had no idea who she was except as that boy's mom. So when he started to recognize what was going on, started to emerge into his own adulthood and began to draw some appropriate boundaries, nothing cruel, nothing harsh, just appropriate. I'm not going to call home every day. He's 21 years old a boy in college calling home every day to check in with mom. For who? So he just says, you know what? I, I don't have time for this. I'll call you once a week. What? <laughs> I got a call. I was the campus pastor at the time. Can you check on my boy? He hasn't called for three or four days. Nope. <laughs> Won't. If he's dead, you'll get noticed. I didn't say that. I really didn't say that. 
Because now, please notice, this sounds on the surface kind and benevolent and caring on the, on the mom's part, but it is controlling and manipulative and ultimately damaging. Right? <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to stand between you and the door. There. <laughs> but, um, so, so again, the unhealthier or fused or enmeshed the system is, the greater the damage will be when one part is damaged. The healthier the system it is, the more free or differentiated, the more the system will be able to adapt to the new reality. So this, what often, so, so for example, if a kid is born uh, with uh, some mental illness or some physical illness, it often damages the family irreparably. Because the image of our family as needing to be perfect can't handle a, 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 a deformed uh, or a mentally ill child, for example. Or if one of the parents becomes catastrophically ill, or the parent of one of the parents becomes catastrophically ill. The whole system struggles under the weight of that. Image is everything. Because remember, if you don't know who you are on the inside, you will construct a self on the outside. And the maintenance of the outside self takes high priority over care for the inside self. So you spend huge amounts of energy living a conformed life. She volunteered, apparently. <laughs> yep, yep. So, we'll talk a little bit about this, but she needs to leave home. No, no. She needs to leave home. No. She needs to leave home. She is still living her whole life with reference to the family of origin. She needs to become an independent person without reference to the family from which she came. Uh, Well, it's hard to know what the specific issues are. Uh, but the, and it's challenging at this stage of the game, yeah. but she still lives her life caring what other people think, even though she pretends she doesn't. Yep. Because she doesn't know who she is. Right. So she is, she is this, this, is the, this is the thing, right? We have the... We have the outside image, and because she has constantly danced to the tunes of everybody else, she has no idea what she wants or who she is or what she likes. So whoever I'm with, that is the primary influence. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the hardest thing to do will be to love her unconditionally, which means when she crashes and burns, we still love. When she, we, we, I mean, there's a whole range of things, but yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah, it, it's probably a long-term process at this stage. That's why you're supposed to leave home at 18. Well, she didn't. No, no. This is right. She has she has been negatively fused to the family her whole life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll talk about this I think next time a little bit. But we as we as we grow up like zero to five. Uh, the goal of of growing up is safety, right? So zero to five kids need to learn the world is a safe place. That it's I'm going to be comforted. Mom's primary role in there, right? Dad's around, but mom is the primary comforter and helper and whatnot. Between five and eight, kids learn how to play. They learn adventure. They learn that the world is not always a safe place, but you'll probably be okay. And both mom and dad are in in conversation in that in that part 10 to 15 right uh, it's uh, I'm going to be a responsible adult I'm I can I have capacity for uh, um, uh, for life uh, sexual identity begins to emerge and is received as a gift from dad so dads call out their daughter's sexuality without sexualizing them Dads call out their son's masculinity without sexualizing them. So they're not, they don't compete with their sons. They celebrate them, right? They aren't threatened by their daughter's beauty. They celebrate that at and about 15, because you're pretty much done parenting by the time kids are 13, 12, 13. Then 15 to 20 is about getting them out of the house, and now it's back mom and dad together, right? So part of the task in that, in that, uh, that last five years, as they have moved through the junior higher middle years, moving into from abstract thinking, I mean concrete thinking to abstract thinking, they move into the middle school years and life is just horrible because all of a sudden there's all kinds of people who don't like them, right? Because they're moving into junior high and junior high is the age of identity by negation. I don't know who I am, but I know I'm not you because you're not cool. Or you're fat, or you're tall, or you're, what, you're, you're, you're. So, and me and my friends are, are, even if I don't have any, I will manufacture them. Right? So what happens then is the false self starts to emerge in middle school starting 10, 11, 12. Right? as a way of negotiating life through the early teenage years. That false self is formed by popular opinion, by peers, by what other people think, right? So what band do you like? I don't know. What band do we like? What clothes do you wear? I don't know. What clothes do we wear? Do you see? What's popular? I don't know. What are my friends doing? Right? So... I don't know what I think until I know what everybody in my peer group thinks. As we move through to 18, 19, 20, 
we start to realize, no, I have some, actually, I have some opinions about what I like and don't like. And now, am I willing to run the risk of letting go of that shell that I built up, that pseudo-self, that false self, and not caring that person A didn't call me for three weeks? Right? So what happens is the false self persists well into adulthood. Uh, Brennan Manning in uh, Abba's Child calls him or her the imposter. They're the, they're the one we send out to do business for us when we feel threatened or afraid. They're our performer. Right? And so that person is constantly... has. 18 antenna for what's going on in their environment because they're constantly responding and reacting to what people demand of them. They're, everybody loves them. Everybody, you know, they're maybe a great person. They're well thought of. But they have no idea at the center who they are because all they are is formed by the opinions of response at the edges. So then the, the, the goal is that the solid self begins to emerge this takes opinions that are formed slowly over a long period of time and rarely changed. Uh, this is where uh, the parenting piece that we were just talking about, right? When I try on a self that doesn't conform to my family system, how does my system respond to that? So you'll have kids that come home saying, I don't think I believe in God anymore. Like David, my middle son, I don't think I believe in God anymore. Now, what's he doing? He's just trying on a self and wants to see if it'll fly. Right? Because he knows Dad's a preacher. So he knows this is a time bomb in our family, a dynamite in our family. So I said to him, cool. Any particular reason? Well, he hadn't thought that far. <laughs> so, in other words, he didn't get cut off immediately. It became an opportunity for conversation and for a, a, a while afterwards. He, he was the guy, I don't want to go to church anymore. Well, you don't have to go to my church, but you still need to go to church. So pick a church. He went for three weeks and then came back. And, but it, so, so the system by that time had become healthy enough because it wasn't always that way. Number one can tell you a very different story, Right. But it had become healthy enough that we could let him vibrate without the throwing the rest of the system into chaos. Right? So as the solid self emerges, he's less and less concerned now about what people think of him. Right? And, and of course, the model of this for us is Jesus, who never cared what anybody thought of him. He never stood outside of a room and kind of took his breath and kept his fingers crossed and hoped they'd like him. When he walked in and he never, having walked out of a room, wondered what they thought, what they were saying about him when he left. That's amazing because he was fully solid as a self. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, the problem spreads and, and gets and, and sometimes it surfaces in um, in other things. So it's not uncommon for people who are dealing with uh, issues to start to, to maybe resort to alcohol or recover previous addictions or 
work through some additional pain, and, and so that never we, that doesn't bother me, right? If it starts to flood out, uh, because I'm, that's likely going to be what happens. It's not that something's wrong. No, actually, it's something's working. They're, they're starting to process. They're gone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, well, there's a couple of basic things. I, actually, I do a whole hour and a half on on this at some point if we want to do that. It's called crazy making families. How do you, how do you make your kids crazy? Um, and obviously, the goal is that we don't do those things. <laughs> but um, the the primary this is this is very difficult. But here's where the genius of God comes in. He says, Genesis chapter two. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. Because most of the family system's problems with children in the early ages are a result of not having left home properly. Right? Because we, like, we do exactly what you say. We parent in the pattern. So I parented my first son the way I was raised. I parented my second son the way I should have parented my first son. By the time we got to three, he kind of just took care of himself and we're... Still not quite sure where he is, but we'll find him someday. No, but do, do, your, so your point is exactly right. And so the short answer is, Proverbs is genius. 22.6. Train up a child in the way that's appropriate for that child. And when they're old, they won't break. So the first task is to become a student and then a servant of your child. Who are they? What are their personalities? What are their interests? And let them emerge rather than shape their identity according to your expectations. Be constantly inviting them into their own life. Um, it, it depends on how much time you're willing to give to nothing. Because their capacity for the deeper conversations typically is at the end of an hour of nothing. And then you get three to five minutes. Right? So, 
we do things together, we do life together that's not about here now while we're waiting for this wave or while we're waiting for the batting machines or while we're on the golf course or whatever, let me talk to you about, right? It's because it's not constant coaching because they know what you're doing, right? It's more, who are you? What do you like? What do you, what, what's important to you? Uh, how are you managing? Or silence. Being present is the main thing. In fact, uh, I, it, that, that was going to be my second piece, and I think Danae put her finger on it. Kids can adjust to almost any style of parenting, authoritarian or, or laissez-faire, as long as it's consistent. Right? What they can't handle is the, the ping-ponging. You know, mom's read a new book from Dr. Dobson. Then she read something by... Bill Gothard, then somebody else, and they were just, <laughs> don't let her go to the Bible bookstore anymore, right? Uh, and, it, and that's the other side of it, yeah. So, so it, the, the idea is some level of, of consistency, because they'll start to play you against one another very quickly as well. That's the other dynamic. But the main piece is, is to be there. People have been raising kids for a fairly long time. Most of the kids I talk to at the university don't want more things. They just needed more time. You know? Can you address this with Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can't probably do the whole thing, but the task of having the, 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 the you have children to get rid of them, right? That, that's the goal of parenting is to get rid of your kids, right? No, I mean, I mean, this is a crazy way to say it, but you, you know what I'm saying. You want them, you've got them for roughly 18-ish years. But you want them to get, have them develop enough solid sense of themselves, their capacities, and their, you want them to have crashed and burned enough to know that life can hurt, that there's a price to pay when it hurts. You want as much of that to be consequential as you can. So that means you can't spare them from pain. Uh, most of the damage is done by overprotective parents in our culture. So, so... I've got to then, and this is where the peace comes in, I've got to not care that they don't like me. I've got to not care that they don't reflect me well. Uh, so I can't link my identity to theirs. I've got to let them be their, their own self. And I want to become their biggest cheerleader. Uh, as they are. So if he turns out to be a ballet dancer, I want to be leading the standing ovation at the end of the concert. Right? even if I wanted them to be a, a baseball player. So I've got to let who they are emerge with celebration. That's really Yeah. Yeah. 
So the way to fix that is to know that you're deeply, truly, passionately loved by God and you're not in control of anything important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and that, that's, a, that's a hard one, right? Because why do we exercise extreme control at the edges? Because we feel out of control at the center. So the more solid we are at the center, the more we know who our Father is and believe what is true about us, the greater the capacity we have to disappoint people at the edges, including our children, and just let them be who they are. Because that doesn't reflect on me. This reflects on me. You know? Actually, no. Um, I went to both of the boys. They were a little older, the two old ones. And I apologized for the way that I had parented them. And I told them that I had screwed up. And they both looked at me and said, we know. That's true. Because uh, my boys, my two old ones, actually all three of them are really pretty intuitive and stuff like that. I asked them to forgive me. And they did. And so now we have... Um, much, much, and, and then Peter, the youngest one, had a different dad than the other two did. So our relationship now with all three of them is, I think, is really pretty, pretty good. Uh, and and um, they don't all listen to what I say, but nobody else does either. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So it was, it was more of a here. This is your life. And the and the and the one that I've, you know, I've mentioned this to you before. But David is the one, my middle son who was the point of pain, right? Tattoos, piercings, uh, six-inch Liberty Spikes, red, white, and blue, Easter Sunday morning. Preacher's kid, right? He was the one that I decided I want a relationship with him more than I want to be right. And so he's the one that's taught me, if it wasn't for David, I couldn't pastor at the garden. It's just that simple. Because we have folks who don't fit my conformed, the view that I had, right? And he, he just taught me, no, 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 no. That's not how the game play is played. Well, they, they were way ahead of me on it. They loved him and, you know, yeah. I, I just had a fabulous congregation who, who really didn't have expectations for my boys as much as I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number five. <clears throat> How are we doing? Oh, good. Uh, even though we are new creatures in Christ, family and relational problems will still have to be dealt with. Right? Uh, and this, especially those, now this is the, the delicate part, but especially those in which children are the victims of parental or other adult abuse either sexual or physical. Those issues persist even though salvation comes into the home. I think the cross and the resurrection can assist in dealing with those issues, but the, the, the outcomes consequentially of those will still persist going forward. How we, how we pattern ourselves, how we relate, how we fight our husbands by fight, you know what I mean, how we deal with conflict in the system or whether we deal with conflict 
There have been some of us who have been so trained away from conflict that we avoided at all possible costs, which ends up bottling and so on, but nonetheless. So those issues still have to be dealt with, even though we have come to faith. It gives us strategies and methodologies and help and hope in dealing with those, but we still have to do it. Okay? Uh, so, here's, here's a couple of the basic principles uh, that we probably just need to underline. The first one is, what gets denied gets repeated. So, what is denial? Denial is self-protective inability or unwillingness to accept my own reality. Again, self-protective inability or unwillingness to accept my own reality. So back to this story here. Why did that boy not tell me that he had killed his little brother? He simply could not remember it until I pulled on the string. Is it possible for a parent to have done horrific things to their children and have no knowledge of its having taken place? Yes. I know. It's very hard to believe, but it's true. Why? In extreme cases, it results in splitting. Right? Where essentially you end up with two different persons, one of whom is the bad person and the other of whom is the good person. Why does that happen? Because I can't live with myself as one who has done that. So I've, I've got, I've, in, in my pastoral care class, I'm dealing with this now. We're at a place where I'm talking about these kinds of things with the, with the kids. And I've, got an, I've had an appointment a week ago and I had another one yesterday with a student who told me something that they had now remembered that they had not been able to remember for 15 years. Why? Huh? Perpetrator. Yeah, so there was sex play as a six-year-old with a neighbor. Well, that's pretty common for six-year-olds. But you have a culture which shames, shames sexuality. So this kid disappeared and couldn't talk about it until... And he was convinced that he was gay because the neighbor was a boy. No. No. But denial is not just a river in Egypt. Nobody laughed. That was a great joke, I thought. <laughs> but anyway, um, so it, it's... it's it, yeah. <laughs> right? So... so um, what, what, I, what I'm after here then, so again, remember, the key word on denial is that it's self-protective. Um, and a, a, a girl who has been forced or who has chosen an abortion at 12 or 13 or 14 because she was raped will often simply cut off that chunk of her life and not have any memory of it at all. Right now, its influence is still there. Right, it will it will it will show up in sexual relationships with boyfriends or husbands, and she will not know why until things begin to emerge in maybe in a counseling or therapeutic environment. 
So what gets denied gets repeated means if we don't deal with our own reality, reality will nonetheless deal with us. So almost everybody who, who is a victimizer was themselves first a victim. Something happened that, that, that turned them into acting in a certain way. Uh, and so we, we want to, to uh, that's where the kindness and compassion piece comes, even with people who are perpetrators of horrific things. You know, because somewhere along the line, he was a little boy to whom people did horrific things. It's not an excuse, because there were other little boys who didn't do this, didn't act out. But at some point, we have to deal with reality. Yeah. That it was true. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible that for whatever reason, and probably knowing the reason, he could not acknowledge that he could have done those kinds of things. So all you can do is go with what you know to be real and have your identity unattached to the system and reattached to the Father. So when I use the language of needing to leave home, that's what I'm after. You know? The ambiguity. You just don't know. That's why in the human community, grace and forgiveness are the, is the grease in the bearings. We just You can't be married for ten minutes unless forgiveness is part of the equation. You can't, you, you, you know, you've got to have grace for your kids. Otherwise, they wouldn't get to their first birthday. Yeah, that's uh, the kid figures out how to play both against and tends to become fairly frenetic and anxious, to be honest. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why in pre-marriage counseling, I mean, one of the top five conflicts in marriage is parenting styles. And so I want them to try and talk about this as much as they can and and then work through that. As, as in real time, uh, but you put your finger on one of the real crazy-making things for kids. 
Because if both of the, if there's some level of consistency, then they will they will manage. They will figure it out, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. Almost they can they can figure it out. But if one's one way and one's the other, then they figure out how to play that system, and they become fairly controlling, fairly manipulative. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. Well, that that's yeah. We can go on, but yeah. Um, to invite them on the journey. So, for example, if and again, this 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 is. Um, maybe at the next level of counseling that we, because we'll talk about when we want to start referring people to like SIFT or Journeys or somebody that we're going to be in partnership with at the Garden, because we're not going to be able to do very much counseling uh, per se at the at the, some of the deeper levels. Um, but uh, y- y- I, I'm, for me, if I notice, and it's and now, for example, at, at the university, if I notice a pattern that develops that I have awareness that comes from a certain kind of pathology or a certain kind of behavior at a younger age, then I might want to say, have you noticed this kind of pattern? Uh, and what might produce that? Uh, and, and it sometimes is an invitation to look in the mirror and see some things and then go and start to walk with a counselor to deal with it. Uh, sometimes, though, it's, I don't know, I just keep choosing the wrong men. If I just find the right one guy, you know, <laughs> but but often then, you know, by the time we're on four or five of the wrong man, my question is, have you noticed the common denominator here? Why is it? <laughs> why, why is it that you, <laughs> why is it that you keep choosing people who are hard who are who do you damage? What is it that you believe about yourself that you're not able to take somebody or accept or love somebody who can love you without demand or exception or treat you properly? Because those are the kind of dynamics that go in with that. So what gets denied gets repeated. If we don't acknowledge our own story, there's a very good chance that we're going to just repeat it generation after generation after generation. The other piece on this is number seven, which says what gets resisted gets reversed. So this is like what Peter illustrated, right? If we don't acknowledge the ways that we were parented, good and bad but simply react to the ways that we were parented, we will tend to parent in opposite ways. So we will respond to the way we were parented by doing something the exact opposite, which then drives the car into the ditch on the other side of the road. Right? And again, the key is not one automatically produces the other. The key is that if I don't acknowledge and own and then respond to my reality, instead I just push against it, then I create behaviors in the other direction. So it's, it, it's not hard to fix once you're aware 
that I don't need to react to the way that I was parented. So this is why it's important to leave home. I've, I've, I've got to acknowledge my own story. Because if you look down here, implications of the family system, I think you can see how it influences the role we play in our place of employment. Uh, there's an inordinate number of firstborns who are CEOs. That's because they were trained for the role from childhood. That's what, see, that's what they do. Right? Uh, in our relationships, our friendships, our dating relationships, in our marriages. So if you have a firstborn son marry a secondborn daughter, they won't have a whole lot of conflict. Because they will already have figured out how the system works. Unless, in the family of the second-born daughter, she was the replacement child for the number one son who went sideways. Because now she's functioning as the responsible one, as the mother, so she will tend then to fit that role with her new husband, who thinks he's marrying a wife, but is actually marrying another mother. Yeah. So this is part of the conversation in in premarriage counseling. What is where what in where are you in the birth order? And how did you relate to the other members of of your family? Only 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 children function uh, as a firstborn and as a lastborn. They will tend to be hyper responsible. They will tend to have missed the playful part of childhood. They will tend to be adults before their time. Yeah, so, so the baby in the family will tend to, will tend, depending on how the, the system is, will tend to be more playful, will tend to be more peacemaker, will tend to be more... Um, irresponsible at times. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well. <laughs> yeah. No. Well. It, it really. It, it. 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 All I'm saying is, know what you're doing, because you can make anything work. If you've left home. In other words, if you have recognized what I'm going to tend to do and what if I do that will be damaging in this relationship. So today I was doing pre-marriage with a firstborn son who is very um, capable, very uh, creative, all of the things that firstborns are very in charge and so on. And he's marrying a, a third daughter. Okay, so she's the baby of the family. She has disappeared her whole life because that's been her role in the system. And he's mad at her because she won't tell him what she likes. She has been trained for 25 years to not have things that she likes. Right? So he gets angry at her which is not likely guaranteed to produce her telling him what she likes, right? He wants her 
to be enthusiastic about what He's planned for them to do. No. If she's doing it, that's as good as it gets. Because that's how she's been trained in the system. If she didn't want to do it, she'd tell you. Don't expect her to get all excited because that's you. That's not her. So it's, it's like, it's not, it, it doesn't, I can say to firstborns, you guys are going to conflict on these levels. You're both going to want to lead. That's why you both have to submit to each other and then to Christ. You're both going to want to be in charge and, 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 and. Uh, so that's okay, but now you've got to figure that out. Um, it does, but it works differently across different cultures. So in, in Latin cultures, for example, the, the roles are even more uh, rigidified along gender lines. Um, although the game gets played very interestingly. You have the machismo thing in certain Latin cultures, but then you have the mama who's in charge of everything, who you just don't want to cross. Uh, so it's it depends on and and the other and you would you would know this better than I, but from from Central America down to South America, Latin culture is radically different, depending on what country you're in, and whether it was Spanish or um, uh, uh, like Mayan or Aztec or I mean there's a very real difference depending on how the system um, was was. Yeah, and you got to figure out how in your culture, right, right, right. You have to figure out how in your system, in your culture, and remember that you're marrying somebody from a different culture, right? So if you're if you're a, a, a man, you marry a woman, you have two different cultures that are coming together, two different normals, right? And you won't know that until you collide. Right? It will be helpful. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's, it, the answers are be aware and leave home. Differentiate. Right? That's very, very challenging to do. Yeah, it starts, it, kids start to leave home at about six months, right? That's when they start to say no in, or, or begin to exercise their personalities in tiny little ways, right? But become more so at, at so-called terrible twos, right? Or somewhere in that range. And then they'll do it again at 12 or 13. And that's when, instead of being threatened by their independence, you want to celebrate it and release them to their to their own lives with the pain that comes from that, and be be the, the, the be aware that they will not always thank you for that. 
You can't parent for the thanks of your children. So, so, and then to recognize with five, they're all going to be different. Uh, so, so it really is going to be how do I hand you your life and support you in that without making you think because you're not your older sister, you're not quite all that. And that, and and it, it's actually to be honest, it, it, it it's more time intensive than it is skill. It's just learning who they are and celebrating that and releasing them. I mean, and that if part of that system accounts, at least in Western culture, for the predominance of Jewish leadership, both male and female, because they're handed their life and supported in it at an early age. And we're constantly trying to prove what we doubt for ourselves. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that the, the rites of passage conversation is a huge one. Uh, we don't do it very well with our sons or daughters. And frankly, poorer with our sons than we do with our daughters. Especially in Southern California, Southern Florida, and Hawaii. Yeah. On average, the social maturity of men in those three areas is three to five years behind the rest of the country. Southern California, Florida, and Hawaii. Sun. Yep. You can be a bum. You try being a bum in Nebraska. Just give it a shot. Come January, you'll get a job. <laughs> you know, you and your VW bug aren't going to take you very far. So let's finish this up. Um, <clears throat> we've already talked a little bit about this, so just to talk about it. Three stages of differentiation necessary. The first one is what we've been primarily talking about. Differentiation from one's family of origin, moving from dependence to independence. 
theoretically, this is a gift that parents give to their children. If parents have defined themselves in their primary role as parents rather than people, they will have a difficult time releasing their children. So that's why Hebrews, I mean rather Genesis chapter 2 is so important. Leave home before you get married, before you have children, so that you're not counting on your children to know who you are. Right? So that's the first one. Second one is individuation from one's peers. That's the move from the pseudo-self to the solid self, where I become a whole person independent of, but interdependent with, my circle of friends. That ebbs and flows. And then the third one is the most difficult, and that is the differentiation of one's family of origin in which you let your parents leave home. In other words, you let your parents become adults independent of you so that their life is their life and it doesn't reflect on you. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to be embarrassed by them. You don't have to explain them. You don't have to take care of them so you can genuinely become interdependent and care well for them. That's the hardest one. Often because we don't uh, want to think of our parents as anything other than our parents. Right? Okay, we've covered a a boatload of stuff. Good conversation. Um, Any quick questions before we close? All right. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the chance we've had to talk about important things. Help us to push into this by the help of your Spirit with ourselves and with those with whom we walk. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.